fan. As far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Nine to noon. P.A. Personal foul. Clipping. The game is over. You like that? This is an old-fashioned ass-kicking right here. Yeah, but... L. Hold on to your butt. The things that were putting us in, in, you know, bad trouble was the the penalties. You know, starting first and twenty and third and twenty-two. You know, you can't win football games like that. Cousins from under center. Hey, oh, almost got away from the pressure, but he couldn't. And then he was driven down. Holy cow! B.J. Hill, a behemoth nose tackle from NC State, threw eight back for eight, and now it'll be second and eighteen. L. in the pocket, throws to the end zone, T. Higgins uncovered, touchdown Cincinnati, Xavier Woods, the closest guy to him, he was about a mile away, so Burrow to Higgins, Cincinnati has its first touchdown of the 2021, and it's 7-6, Minnesota. This is an old-fashioned ass kicking right here. Oh, well. And sadly, because he's on our team, they're working Bashad Breeland. Oh, no! Joe Mixon is thrust to the goal strike. Touchdown! Mixon stood up between the one and the goal strike. He's a very strong man, Peter. Snap, spot. McPherson, the gator with the big leg. Boom. I knew we was going to beat them clowns. Watch for the ball, play clock at five. He gets a big blitz by Cincy. Come on, Kirk. Make him pay. Ah, they made him pay. B.J. Hill along with a blitzing corner. Mike Hilton got to Kirk Cousins. They sacked him. Clock runs. Loss of ten. And stopped immediately. Bengals saying it was a fumble. Dalvin, you did not fumble, did you? Dalvin? Waiting for a signal. Oh, oh Dalvin's oh, the ball. The the field Thirty-three yards. 24-24 in overtime. Five seconds to go. 
snap spot. McPherson's kick is good. And the Cincinnati Bengals have defeated the Minnesota Vikings in overtime, 27-24. Oh, oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Hey, 9 to noon. Uh, you may have noticed a subtle change to the 9 to noon presentation today. We welcome you to the presentation. It's PA, 9 to noon on the fan. The subtlety, the nuance, the intricate nature of the change had nothing to do with the impeccable Monday morning montage by the producer, mad producer, Eric Nordquist. It has nothing to do with yours truly, the host, Paul Allen. We welcome you to the... Football Feast. Football Feast on a Monday. Now, we um, we opted to start the show a minute early in honor of all of the Minnesota Vikings false starts yesterday. I always love that one. We figured starting a minute early would pay homage to the super special false starts right out of the gate for our favorite team yesterday in an overtime loss to the underdogs, the Cincinnati Bengals. By the way, if you're lonely... Uh, we have plenty of people to hold you. I always love that one. Because that was a problem yesterday, too. <laughs> and, um, you know, new offensive coordinator Clint Kubiak. We didn't score any touchdowns in the preseason. Uh, their offensive touchdowns, that is. Uh, there was some teeth gnashing from the, the Valhalla-bound covenant or the anticipatory Valhalla-bound covenant. Uh, with questions about the Minnesota Vikings offense and the productivity. And yeah, there, there were some offensive touchdowns yesterday. AT19 got a couple. Uh, Dalvin Cook got his first of what uh, will be many. I would imagine it ain't easy calling a game when your average third down to go distance, middle of the fourth quarter, is 13.8 yards. <gasps> I mean, you're excited for your new job, 34 years of age. You're on the fast track to potential offensive coordinating fame. And then it's false start, number 30, false start, number 69, false start, number 75, false start, number everybody. And, uh, you know, then, then you get these defensive tackles, these beef eaters like DJ Reader and BJ Hill. Uh, the the Cincinnati Bengals drafted an offensive lineman from Ohio State named Billy Price. And uh, they got him in like the first or second round a few years ago. They were quite high in old Billy Price. So high they traded him to uh, the New York Giants for a beef eater named B.J. Hill, who along with D.J. Reader and Larry Ogunjobi, you know, familiar, super popular National Football League names, they were just wreaking havoc against oh. the middle of our line yesterday and just causing eight to be to have anxiety attacks because they were all up in his mix. Ogan Joby, Reader, BJ Hill. I mean, I hear those names and I'm like young Gerald McCoy, older HOF John Randall, Aaron Donald, you know, players like that. Uh, that was a problem. So copyright average white band and the Monday morning montage song, work to do. 
There's work to do, and there's work to do all up and down the covenant when you lose a non-negotiable. And I stick by what I said last week. Winning that game was non-negotiable. You, you have to find a way to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. You have to find a way to beat a coach so desperate to win his fan base and probably win over the approval of ownership in his third year. My guy, Zach Taylor... I mean, it's fourth and one at the minus 30. You got a two-score lead, and you're going to go for it? Holy cow. Valor, the better part of discretion? What are we doing here? And, of course, they didn't get it. And, of course, we went down and scored. And, of course, Zach was being like, here, purple, purple, here, Minnesota Vikings, just come and take this game, you kiddies. But they couldn't. They couldn't. They lost in overtime. That Evan McPherson, that kicker from Florida, man, I was watching him in the pregame on the sideline. Yeah. I think he hit a 67-yard field goal in pregame. Massive leg. Oh, I mean, they they used a fifth-round pick on him. If somebody uses, well, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in the day probably would have taken him in the first round. (laughs) That's a Roberto Aguayo old-school joke that wasn't that great. Uh, But he he is worth every bit of that fifth-round pick, and he daggered us from like 33, but he also hit a 53. Didn't miss a field goal in the preseason. It's the highest percentage field goal kicker in the history of the SEC. And he hasn't had a kick block in three years. Like like every kick in Florida was never blocked. So the McPherson cat, holy cow. Good for the Cincinnati Bengals with Evan McPherson. Now we got Greg Joseph. And uh, Greg was in a big spot yesterday. Uh, He happened to hit from 53 to send the game to overtime. Very pressure-laden moment. We know pressure-laden moments have not always gone the way of the Minnesota Vikings when it comes to the complexity and or the pressure that uh, is surrounded with a kick when, you know, like the game or the season is on the line and and uh, it just doesn't seem to go the way of the Minnesota Vikings. But um, but with Joseph, it did yesterday, man, and that was fun. I mean, despite the outcome, it was a fun game to call. Pete, Ben, Greg, and I had a good time. Hopefully uh, the fans in the stands had a good time all up until the fat L at the end of the game. A lot of Minnesota Vikings fans at Paul Brown Stadium. And um, here is the first prediction to be made as we take a sneak peek at fresh meat. Ooh. We, we, we take a sneak peek at next week. The Arizona Cardinals. If he's healthy enough, I predict Bashad Breland has a fantastic game. I always love that one. I'm saying Bashad (laughs) Breland will have a terrific game against formidable foes. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, skeletal remains of A.J. Green, Rondale Moore up and down the field, Christian Kirk with a couple of TDs yesterday. And here's why. Bashad... A crafty veteran, been to the last two Super Bowls, won one of them, picked off Jimmy G, the quarterback with the high cheekbones for next-level Shanny. He had an interception in the Super Bowl. Bashad Breland, his modus operandi, the majority of his career has been good game, bad game, good game, bad game, good game, bad game. So being horse racing raised, I'm looking at bad race, out of nowhere, leading to a good race. So I'm going to put Bashad Breland on that, going against formidable foes in the Valley of the Sun, which will be the Valley of No Fun or the Valley of People Are Wondering If You Are Done. 
if young Kyler gets up there and goes for five again, four by air, one by land, you got uh, you got your guy Chandler Jones with five sacks, first time in the history of those birds. So a daunting task definitely is ahead of the Minnesota Vikings. I predict Bashad Breeland bounces back. The question is, will the entire team bounce back? Cousins got a little cold-blooded there at the end, too, with uh, Tyler Conklin and AT19. Michael Pierce had a couple of sacks, first multi-sack game of his career. Go ahead and single Michael Pierce. Go ahead and single Michael Pierce, and that's what is going to happen. Uh, by the way, props to the Cincinnati Bengals for the Ogan Joby signing. It's a nice little signing there as an unrestricted free agent. He was really good for them yesterday. Just went out there and plucked him from the calm, didn't you? So here comes Kyler. That's a three-piece FM 100.3 KFAN pregame at 1 o'clock. Wi-Fi at SoFi. Do we need to consider Wi-Fi at SoFi 0-1 into the 17? We will analyze that with a skull to the bowl with some soul segment coming up next. We're going to hammer on that skull to the bowl, part of the Timber Tech set list. What's on deck 9 to noon includes Super Special Cine, Sultan of Smug. We thought we took an L yesterday. Holy cow. What in the heck happened to the juicy green and gold? Didn't even score a touchdown up in the biatch. Cine at 940. P.J. Fleck, coach of the Gophers football team, weekly 9 to noon, that's 1040. And Justin Gard, sideline analyst for the Golden Gophers football team, he'll join at 1140. Some Vikings-related calls about 1115. A segment called Northern Plights at 10 o'clock we think you'll like. And we thank you very much for joining the presentation. I'm Paul Allen from the 651 Carpets Studio. You're listening to FM 100.3 KFAN your home for and the skull to the bowl leader KFAN good morning 9 to noon the fan programming on the fan brought to you in part by our good friends over there at quick trip go and use quick trip for all your gasoline and lovely coffee needs Flying high at SoFi. What about Wi-Fi at SoFi? From Lo-Fi to SoFi. What about from Cincinnati to Inglewood? Something good in Inglewood. Uh, Doherty roster moves before we get into Skull to the Bowl. Uh, Doherty roster moves courtesy of Doherty.com. And uh, through one, the Vikings seemingly made a good roster move, uh, rolling with kicker Greg Joseph. Uh, That was a cold-blooded connection from 53 yards yesterday. Maybe he has the clutch gene sending the uh, football game into overtime. And speaking of clutch, if you need a job or you are uh, somebody who hires, you are a hiring manager, uh, Doherty, the employment experts, they have staffing solutions for you, and roster moves are what they do. So go to Doherty.com if you're looking for a job. It is D-O-H-E-R-T-Y dot com. Thank you very much, Doherty, for the roster moves. Now, purple pain to SoFi Rain. Skull to the ball. Skull being the Minnesota Vikings, the ball being the Super Bowl. Tie that together with uh, what I call the number game. Like, what's your number? Coley, 
Coley, my daughter Nicole, and, and some friends know exactly what I mean. What's your number? It's a communication piece I've used and played with my daughter for years. Coley, what's your number? It entails personal and professional or or like real life outside of uh, personal stuff and uh, and or professional. But for kids, it can be school or social media, stuff like that. Coley, what's your number? It's a, it's a quick fire assessment of how life is going at that moment. And it requires a certain degree of honesty, too, because with your number, you're you're much like there are no zero percenters and there are no 100 percenters in the numbers game. You're never a zero, no matter how bad you think it is. And quite honestly, no matter how good you think it is, you're never a 10. So what's your number? It's somewhere between one and nine. If you are a five or below, you are requested to communicate why you are a five or below. Coley, why are you a four? Okay, L there, L there, L there. This ties into skull to the bowl and the number game. Minnesota Vikings fans, what's your number? Off a loss at Cincinnati and uh, young Kyler on the horizon. Once again, if you're a five or below, you are to communicate why. So with Skull to the Bowl in the Super Bowl, we'll begin with uh, we'll begin with Mad Producer. So, fi, fo, fum. Vike's going to win in that stadium. What's your number? My number at this particular moment? It is indeed a four. From Tundra to Tinseltown. Above average at that. Yeah, okay. Well, it's a communication piece here. So with the numbers being one to nine, and I mean, you can look at it like 10% up to 95%, whatever you want. We're going to go one to nine to keep the numbers game in lockstep with uh, the way it's been executed for the last half decade. If it's under a five, you need to explain. Yeah. So, so why with the Vikings getting to the Super Bowl, some would say with uh with skull to the bowl in the numbers game you're a four well um, how come you're not a one i always love that one <laughs> certainly ain't going to be a nine but we just lost to the cincinnati Bengals. correct in a non-negotiable we were going to win but dalvin dropped it it can be debated whether it was a fumble i don't think it was matt producer doesn't think he, we, we think buttocks was down before ball officially was out but that's okay yeah don't play a team that won four games and you won seven games off a crap season and you're like sixth in the in the hierarchy for Fox with uh, with the presentation, meaning there were like two cameras at the game. If that happens on Sunday night football where they got like 40 cameras, perhaps it's overturned. But uh, nah, man, we were like the D or E game for Fox yesterday. So we had like eight cameras at the entire game. Uh, so why are you a four? Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'm going to keep it simple today with my four. I'm down after that loss yesterday. And when you're watching television, you're watching the game on TV, they have that blue line there that represents the line of scrimmage. And I believe that's where most of the issues derived yesterday for the Minnesota Vikings starting on this side of the ball. Kirk straight in the pocket. He's driven near the goal line and taken down. At the two-yard line, that perilously was close to a safety. And now the Cincinnati Bengals have amassed two sacks. 
And that one goes the way of Larry Ogunjobi, fifth-year defensive Nailed tackle it. from NC Charlotte. Both their sacks are defensive tackles. Uh, whether it's the penalties, I think in some ways the amount of time and pressure that Kirk was under and the time that he did not have during portions of yesterday's game, asking, hey, gosh, where, where, were the, where was the downfield explosiveness? I didn't see a ton of extra time for Kirk to even allow any of those sorts of routes to develop to such a degree in which he could be downfield. Uh, the offensive line was a concern for me, op- opening holes or not opening holes, some interior-related problems in relation to Garrett Bradbury, which seems to be a common theme of a problem. And so he needs to be better, all of those things. So that's that side of the line first that concerns me one game into the season. And then the other side. First and goal, Burrow out of the shotgun, no huddle. He goes to Mixon, who goes up the middle, and Joe Mixon is thrust to the goal stripe. Touchdown! Mixon stood up between the one and the goal stripe. He's a very strong man, Peter, and he pushed himself into the end zone for a 20-7 lead. Cincinnati. Uh, Joe Mixon and that rushing attack yesterday for the Cincinnati Bengals, the amount of resources that we put into that defensive line, whether it's people returning from opt-outs, it's number 99 problems solved, it's Dalvin Tomlinson, it's all of those things. The idea was giving up 135 yards nearly a game last year in rushing. Let's not ever do that again. And we gave up nearly a buck fifty on the ground yesterday, which allowed, again, a a brilliant performance by Joe Burrow. Look at the five sacks if you're just fishing in the box score. That doesn't tell you the story of the amount of time and uh, some of the extreme efficiency and the quality that his O-line provided for most of the day. So for me, as a right now, PA, I am a four because you lose a game like this, a non-negotiable when that second half of the season, all of those things need to get much better very quickly, and I'm worried about that. Your um, yeah, your communication skills are not a concern. Uh, you can go outside and play, Coley. Oh, thank you. I'm a 5.1. I always love that one. <laughs> uh, it's too early to throw dirt on a grave, okay? Now, it, it was a non-negotiable losing to Cincy. I've said it three times. I ain't going to talk loud like that last week, and then all of a sudden not mention it. Uh, it is an it, it it's an awful loss, and Cincinnati is better than it was last year. Yes, uh, Cincinnati did good work for the most part in free agency with its defense, um, but um, I'm a five point one because there ain't really much uh, of the communication that needs to be shared here after one game. But it 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 the non negotiable aspect of it, it 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 was bearing fruit yesterday. All those penalties. You're missing tackles. You ain't looking great. You're giving up sacks to beef eaters, yet you're going to win the game if maybe the best overall running back in the NFL doesn't fumble in overtime. Amazingly, you're going to win that game. And it completely plays into uh, some of it. The mark of a good team is a team that plays poorly and finds a way to win. But the the dagger there is the Minnesota Vikings did not find a way to win. I'm a 5.1. All the penalties were embarrassing and, and reeked of anxiety and not being one with the quarterback and the simplicity of the snap count. The holding is because you're getting beat, and there's that's the only way to look at it. The holding penalties are because you are getting beaten by the man in front of you. There was plenty of good, and that plays into the number two. So my skull to the bowl number is 5.1. 
where it goes from here, only the prophets of pigskin know, because ain't many, ain't many looking at next Vikings game, all of these pigskin prophets, ain't many thinking the Minnesota Vikings have a prayer. They'll be underdogs at Arizona. We have a senior defensive assistant named Paul Gunther, former defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, he is the subject this season of our Vikings report. So at this time, each and every day, you will get the thoughts from somebody in the inside beginning now. Time now for the Vikings report on the fan presented by Pilot Games. Vikings assistant coach Paul Gunther joins PA after this from Pilot Games. Jim. Tough loss yesterday, Mr. Gunther. What are some things you guys look to correct defensively into Arizona? Obviously, uh, just as a team in general, you know, the penalty gap, uh, having 12 penalties uh, isn't going to win win you many ball games. If you give teams extra at-bats, it's hard enough to win. I don't care who you're playing uh, the games in the NFL. So we got to clean up the, the penalty gap. Uh, that's first and foremost as the team. And then on defense, they, defensively, uh, they had a couple runs that got out on us a little bit. Uh, we got to get those cleaned up. And obviously, uh, we gave an explosive play there at the end of the half where they were able to double the score up, uh, right before half and then, uh, the opening drive of the second half. You, um, you coached in Cincinnati for many years and, um, and, and finished it as defensive coordinator. Did you see a bunch of old friends when you were back there at Paul Brown Stadium? I did. You know, I saw the, uh, the, the the people that I work for, the Browns, the ownership, uh, a lot of the people, the staff people that are working there. They, they still have a few players that that are held over there from from the time I was there. But uh, and I saw a lot of friends. But the, probably the most exciting thing that I was most excited about uh, was when we were in overtime driving down. Uh, prior to the fumble, I looked around the stadium and I saw a bunch of purple uh, shirts doing the skull chant. Yeah. It seemed like a semi-home game, so that made me really excited. Yeah, and, and when, when you guys looked like before that fumble you were going to win, there were a lot of fans streaming out of the stadium. It reminded me of like when Kirk Gibson hit that home run for the L.A. Dodgers way back in World Series days off Eckersley. Everybody leaving, and they stopped believing, but sadly they won. Yeah, I know. It's a shame. It's, it's, it was a good, a good NFL game. It could have went either way, and obviously, uh, uh, we got to move on to the next one. What jumped Michael Pierce with those two sacks? What what led to the nose tackle getting two sacks? Well, it's funny because it was his first multi sack game of his career. He had two. He had, he had a, uh, for his career three and a half sacks. He had two yesterday. But if you watch our practice. Uh, uh, and you watch him pass rush and practice. He's for a big man. He's got a lot of uh, uh, first step quickness getting off the ball, and I think he got a, a couple chances against their center one on one and beat the center, and uh, we're able to get us on the fan. Second and ten, balls on the forty-five. Jameis under center takes it back, straight back in the pocket. He's looking deep. He's looking for Deontay Harris. He's open, and Deontay makes the catch. See you later, Bob. Touchdown, Saints. Low is the route. It's a double move route. Earlier, earlier this week, he probably dropped it twice. They were not able to connect on this route whatsoever. It's a double move. He is way too fast. You knew it was coming. And he's just got to find it. King doesn't stand a chance. WWL, the flagship station for your New Orleans Saints. 38-3, the final down in Jacksonville yesterday. Ha <laughs> ha 
In your face, Milwaukee. My God. I mean, losing is one thing, but I mean, that had to completely catch you off guard. 38-3 Saints, super special, Cinny, and good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, all I got to say is Super Bowl, homeboy. Um, Tampa Bay lost to the Saints 38-3 to last year, too. Here we come. <laughs> here we come. Now, hold on a second here. Hold on. In the silence you hear is Lambeau Field. I didn't see a play. Um, the the quarterback, HOF, 15 of 28, buck 33, couple of picks, passer rating of 36.8. I mean, is the it's he's had so many good games. I would imagine the stinkers really stick out. Has there been a game worse than this for Juicy A-Rodge? Uh, no, I think this was the worst. I saw a stat that had, had he thrown the ball into the ground 33 times instead, <laughs> he would have had a higher passer rating than he had yesterday. <laughs> well, that, Which, that's brilliant the way you yeah. laid that out. Well done. Yeah, I, I just don't know what to, to say about what happened. I didn't see the first half. I listened Dude. to it. I was driving yeah. back from a softball tournament in St. Joseph. I listened to Wayne and Larry, oh. Oh. who were just um, dumbstruck. You know what happens? It feels like when the Packers lose under LaFleur, they get destroyed. You know, in Tampa, against the Chargers, they fall behind, and they just abandon everything that their offense typically is. They don't run the ball anymore. Mm. They don't run the misdirection, the jet sweep stuff, all that goes out the window. They throw four receivers out there and try to catch up, mm-hmm. and it just digs them into a deeper hole. I just find it really perplexing um, what happens to this offense when they get behind, and there's no reason for it. So, you know, Rodgers afterwards said, yeah, we probably came in overconfident. You know, I'm not going with the they didn't play in the preseason. They did play last year in the preseason. I don't think that's the issue. I think they – They came in unprepared and got embarrassed by a team that came in really hungry to show that their new quarterback and all their new parts weren't going to be bullied by a team that was in the championship game the last couple years. Jameis Winston beat this team. He only threw for 148 yards, um, but he beat this team with a bunch of wide receivers nobody's ever heard of and a tight end nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, Kamara's good, and he was very good, but uh, I give credit to Jameis Winston for really managing that game and to be honest, the Packers' defense under Joe Barry just wasn't ready to play yet. They, they didn't know what they were doing. So that's less surprising to me than what the offense looked like. But overall, just uh, an embarrassing, astounding performance by my team. Well, a couple, uh, couple of things here. Uh, the New Orleans Saints' new play-by-play voice after the opening kickoff had this to say. And there is your I thought it was a bit premature. Um, I thought it was very snot-nosed kid, Sean Payton, cocky, mock the skull chant. Go ahead and drop that dagger after the opening kickoff. But, I mean, the the Saints led every step of the way. They popped the gate, opened up by three, and ended up winning in secretariat-like fashion. But you mentioned all those those no-namers, you know, where it's Deontay Harris and something called Jawan Johnson. The tight end is Adam Troutman. Uh, the Callaway kid's fast. He only had one catch, but nevertheless, he had a catch. Chris Hogan, uh, the speedy former Patriot, one catch, one TD. Kamara, yep. he had one TD, and, and we know who Alvin Kamara is. But you're 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 chatting with an individual, David, who just watched something called Larry Ogunjobi do the greatest Aaron Donald impression to the interior of the, of the Vikings <laughs> offensive that I've ever seen. I mean, so. 
Ogan Joby, DJ Reader, BJ Hill. Okay. So I, I completely understand whence you come with the opinion and I feel your pain, but, um, were, were, were there like a lot of missed tackles in this game? I, I mean, Jameis Winston, five touchdowns, zero picks. How is it not five touchdowns, three interceptions? That's who Jameis is. Well, he did throw one interception. It got called back on just a horrendous rough in the past. They're calling to Darius Smith. There, there, there were two daggers in this game. The first dagger happened, opening drive in the second half, down 17-3. Rodgers takes the team all the way down to the 10-yard line and throws his first red zone pick in like six years. Just a terrible decision, terrible throw behind Devontae. And suddenly, instead of 17-10, Saints go down and score, and it's 24-3. That was probably the dagger. The second dagger came uh, on the hit from Zadarius Smith, which if you see it, I mean, it's just a great play by Zadarius Smith. It's nothing like roughing the passer, which is what they ended up calling, uh, taking away a Darnell Savage interception that, you know, if he houses it, if he takes it to midfield and they go in and score, it's 24-10, late third quarter, and at least you've got a pulse. Um, so those were the two daggers. Uh, the defense just looked confused. And, um, you know, the one thing Kevin King can do is he's physical, you know, and he can go up to the line of scrimmage and, and bother a wide receiver, but that's not what he's being asked to do in this defense. I, I just don't think they're taking the best advantage of some of the players that may not be really gifted, but have some strengths. And I think that to me stood out is just seeing King, you know, in soft coverage and Winston just able to, find his guys with nobody around them. It's just very um, confounding defensive scheme for the opener. I, they got to get the kinks out. They got two primetime games coming up. And as I wrote in my blog, man, they looked anything but ready for primetime yesterday. Uh, this is the Sultan, the infamous Sultan of Smug. Uh, it's a weekly piece called Border Battle. He is the the head cheese. Yeah, the head cheese. The squad lost thirty eight three yesterday. Nice division. Every uh, every team in the division <laughs> lost. I mean, what a fantastic uh, division! Right out of the gate, everybody's O and L L L L. Um, it seems from afar that it completely makes sense. H O F begged for Randall Cobb to be on the team, given he was targeted one time yesterday. Yeah, he played, I think, 12 snaps. Like, I don't understand at all what, what they're doing. Amari Rogers, the rookie that, you know, is, is a Randall Cobb wannabe, you know, he didn't even appear till the end of the game when Jordan Love's playing in the fourth quarter. And I think he caught Love's first official pass as a NFL quarterback. But yeah, where's Randall Cobb? I mean, the offense just looks nothing like we've been reading about, hearing about it. Just, you know, to not give Aaron Jones more than five carries, uh, A.J. Dillon, four carries, to just give up uh, the running game and just play into Cam Jordan's hands and, and that front seven, which is really the strength of that uh, you know New Orleans defense, against a young offensive line with two rookies and four guys in new spots. They did nothing to confuse them, nothing to disguise anything. They just, hey, we're down 10 points. Let's run four receivers out there and see what HOF can do. Yeah, yeah, and 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 one of 10 on third down. I always love that one. I mean, that's obviously not preferred, right, Sultan? Uh, Rodgers did not convert any third downs. That was a Jordan Love conversion. So, yeah, I, I can't remember a game where Aaron Rodgers did not convert a third down opportunity, and a lot of them, you know, were third and long, just the positions they put themselves in by the play calling. It just was a one of those stinkers you'd hope to just say, all right, they weren't ready. They got their ass beat. 
they came in kind of full of themselves, wake-up call time, and here comes Detroit with nothing to lose on a Monday night. Mm. They better get their <laughs> act together. It looks like the easiest game on the schedule, but Lions put up 33 on the Niners. They're going to come in feeling pretty good. What, uh, what else is bad? What else do I need to have bad? I mean, everything was bad yesterday. I, I don't know of any serious injuries. I know Darnell Savage left with a shoulder injury, so that's something I'm definitely interested in hearing about. Uh, DeGuara, the tight end, left with a concussion. So nothing too bad with injuries, but that's always after a loss or a win. You want to know how your team is standing up the next day. Um, PA, I got nothing more. The offense was abysmal. The defense looked lost. It was, you know, the worst opening day loss for a team that reached the championship game the year before in NFL history. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put up three points. I mean, it was yeah. it was all bad. There was, you know, usually say, is there anything positive? No, there was nothing positive from that game. Who, um, who played left tackle, and how bad was he? Elton Jenkins was fine at left tackle. Um, truly, the offensive line was not horrible. Um, Rodgers had over two and a half seconds to throw the ball on 15 pass attempts and went four for 15. And it wasn't like he was running for his life. Yeah, there was pressure. And just like your game, I felt like, you know, the Saints won up front on both sides of the ball, and that team usually wins the game. But I don't look at Bakhtiari being out. That's why Green Bay lost that game. Jenkins will do just fine at left tackle. It's two rookies on the offensive line that, Mm -hmm. for the most part, were fine, but a couple plays to get some interior pressure move Rodgers off his spot and force him to, you know, hurry things up a little bit. How badly did you find yourself missing Corey Lindsley? I don't know. I mean, you know, five years ago, the same thing happened. J.C. Treader can't afford him anymore. Here comes rookie Corey Lindsley, and he was fine. It's going to take a little time for Josh Myers to get comfortable. Um, it's certainly one of the big question marks for this team, having two rookie offensive linemen, but that that in no way is what shaped what happened to the offense yesterday? To me, it was uh, failure on third down, failure to be creative, failure to run the football, and Aaron Rodgers was not good. He had a bad day, and so we'll see how he uh, picks himself up next Monday night. These uh, uh, these kiddies ran up 33 on next level Shanny, as you said. Thing is, uh, their defense still is bad. They give up 4-1, uh, but um, Jamal Williams against uh, the Green Bay Packers. Holy cow, is that compelling? It's fun, and he got the start, and he was productive. He's a really nice running back, and he's in a good spot where he's going to get a lot of opportunities there, and Packers will have to contend with T.J. Hawkinson and, and Jared Goff, and a, you know, a team that's going to come in really that, that's known that the last few times they've come into Lambeau, they've been competitive. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how my team responds against a, you know, one of those teams with nothing to lose. They're going to throw a lot of weird stuff at Green Bay next Monday night. You, um, uh, you're not going to lose, but if you do – how how I mean like like say you lose even if it's a crisply played game and you lose to the kitties uh, with with a kneecap kneecap crushing guy how how will you feel after that any idea? Well, I think it's season ending because then you got to go to San Francisco next Sunday night. Ooh. You know, and that's a tough spot. You're looking at zero and three. I mean, yeah. yeah, there's 17 games. It's a long season, but uh, you can't lose at home to Detroit after what happened Sunday. I mean, that to me, it's how you respond and. But I think I'm going to this game. I'll find out, I think, for sure today. So if we do lose next Monday night, I just, you know, I may not come back for a while. Uh, in the zone, the podcast with you and Double T, what, uh, where can people find it? Why are you doing it? And uh, what's it going to be about? Well, we find ourselves off the air for these next four Saturdays, uh, starting this past Saturday, because the Gophers have early kickoffs. So with us being silenced as football season starts, 
Uh, we're going to take advantage of technology. So we're going to record a Monday podcast. Um, we're going to head in in the next hour, hour and change. It'll probably be posted early this afternoon. So um, I'll tweet it out. I'll uh, remind you to please tweet it out. I'll ask the fan to tweet it out, but folks can go to, you know, wherever they find their favorite podcast, the iHeart app, wherever, uh, dial up in the zone, you'll find it. And uh, we will react to what we saw over the weekend and talk a little bit about the Wolves uh, signing their two guys back uh, a couple days ago. David Sinekin at TC Head Cheese via Twitter. Follow him as 9 to Noon does. Theheadcheese.com is the website. The Head Cheese. If you're looking for some um, some happy-feeling reading, Vikings fans, go to theheadcheese.com or <laughs> listen back to this podcast like uh, listen back to this segment via the podcast like 10 times. It, it plays into uh, other people's pain and uh, what we feel right now, and just kind of utilizing that to feel better about our lot in life. All right, man, we're both uh, we're both on one. Bad luck next week against the Kitties, and um, and good luck with the podcast. And I'll call you soon, okay? Yeah, and thanks. Have fun with Chandler Jones next Sunday. See no, you, buddy. Yeah, that's special. I appreciate that. Marcus Golden, Buddha Baker. Oh, it's going to be fun. Uh, that's David Sinekin and Border Battle Weekly Nine to Noon. From that, uh, the next couple of segments hit on. Uh, what, um, to me, to a certain extent, was a fascinating opening week in the National Football League. Uh, the NFC North has nothing but losers after week number one. Northern Plights will uh, be in play at 10 a.m. Then after that, we'll discuss some National Football League action from uh, from opening week where Darnold beat his former team. Uh, the demise of the Pittsburgh Steelers has been greatly exaggerated. And Tua, Tua. Tua did it till he was satisfied. You're listening. The fan. Hey, that's what we do. We cry together. Philly band, the OJs. Gerald Levert, or is it Eddie Levert? Gerald's the kid. Eddie Levert on lead vocals for the NFC North. Oh, go ahead. NFC North, we cry together. Actually, there's plenty wrong. You got kneecap biting guy. Bears got a bad secondary. Sinny's team didn't score a touchdown. Our offense is jumping offside every other play. Plenty of reason to cry together, NFC North. You got uh, my friend Jason Hatch, who loves the Motor City Kitties. You got Wobble with the Chicago Bears. Sinny, the civil servant. Cotton John, part of the Green and Gold Covenant. And all of us super special Skull to the Bowl fans losing to the Bengals. Better be a brand new day next week. We cry together. We cry together, brethren. We cry together. How about that? Yeah, that moved me right there, man. That's a damn, that's a good song. We are crying together. And 
That's why this particular segment will be known as Northern Plights. Yeah. The plight of the NFC North, its teams, its fan bases, and everybody included. As all four members of the NFC North division were losers yesterday and sometimes finding new and mysterious ways to take said L's. But let's jump to it. I want to start in Detroit. The heavily favored San Francisco 49ers visiting new head coach Dan Campbell, new Lions quarterback Jared Goff, and the Kitties. And they won, but it was a hell of a lot closer than anyone thought it would be. But Goff in the gun, a back to each side. Hawkinson lines up in the right slot, watched by Kwan Williams. Tyrell Williams is left, off back time. Now throws over the middle, it's intercepted! Running back the other way for the 49ers, Dre Greenlaw! Touchdown! San Francisco! Jared Goff throws another pick six against the 49ers! Yeah, and this time it is Dre Greenlaw. Goff's getting hit at the same time as he's unloading the football. Oh, highlight courtesy KGO 810 San Francisco. It's Greg Papa, Tim Ryan by his side. 41 to 33 is the final. So those that thought, hey, that nine and a half point spread, I'm just going to go ahead and give those points and I'll be fine. Uh, you were not fine. There were some cool uh, moments towards the end of this one PA in which the Detroit Lions did something few teams are able to do, especially with the new rules. They did recover an onside kick and made it interesting towards the end. But at one point in the third quarter, 38-10 to 10 in favor of the visitors through the third. Jimmy G, 314 yards, a couple of scores. Debo Samuel absolutely exploded yesterday, nearly 200 yards receiving, including like a 79-yard bomb from Jimmy G. Trey Lance had the first touchdown of the game for the Niners. Nick Bosa with a sack on the day, but he loves Penay Sewell. Thinks Penay Sewell's got a chance to be pretty good in this league in the future. Uh, Goff throwing it a total of 57 times. Uh, still curious how this team looks to present itself offensively. Goff at times looked very good, still throws it to the other team a lot, and they tend to go back to the, uh, to the end zone. Pick six, you heard the highlight there. Ran it for nearly five carries. Jamal Williams. At nearly six a clip yesterday. So mm. moments of positivity for them. But the defense is just disastrous, PA. Um, and it only got worse. Jeff Okuda in a losing effort. Moments of good, moments of bad yesterday. Ruptured his Achilles. No. So after a rookie season, the that third sucks. overall pick a year ago. Poor kid. Struggling just to keep his head above water. Had hamstring-related issues coming into the season a year ago. Yeah. He's supposed to be healthy. He's supposed to be better. Wow. And even though we don't like the team, uh, we don't want to see stuff like this happen, uh, his season will be over with that Achilles injury. So, Northern Plights, the Lions lost the game, showed some life. Dan Campbell, they're going to be gnawing at people's kneecaps all season long. They're going to be working harder than everybody else. But they lost a highlight starting corner that needed to get better, and uh, they are still 0-1. It, um, it must have been difficult to be a fan of the Motor City Kitties. Those of you donning the Honolulu Blue. Now, it's not like you're you know used to winning or that, that, that you're averse to, averse to losing because that's pretty much all the fan base has known for multiple decades. But must be difficult. Kind of like what the Minnesota Vikings faced yesterday with Bashad Breeland getting run around like five times. 
you know, then you learn with the Kansas City Chiefs, former Vikings first-round pick Mike Hughes, has a massive interception late in the game uh, on the calm from the arm of Baker, and that's negative. That's like rubbing cliched salt in the proverbial wound. But if you're a Lions fan, all right, you lost a game. You're not averse to losing. Uh, But then on Sunday Night Football, you get to watch your former quarterback, Matthew Stafford, look like uh, Joe Montana and Steve Young reincarnate. So uh, that had to be a little difficult for the old Motor City Kitties. Yeah, and if Northern Plights doesn't get hard enough, you mentioned it last segment. Uh, Of course, primetime against the Packers up next. Uh, That's going to be a difficult one for the Honolulu Blue. We'll see what happens. Moving on, Northern Plights. It was primetime yesterday, Sunday Night Football. Bears and Rams. Stafford back to pass on first and ten. Has time. Steps up in the pocket. Going deep. Cup is all alone. Makes the catch at the ten. He'll walk to the end zone. Touchdown Rams. A 56-yard touchdown pass. There's a penalty flag down. Rams are indicating it's against Chicago. Courtesy of Westwood One. And by the way, you can hear these sorts of primetime games right here on your home for all sports. The fan, whether it's Sunday night football last evening, Monday night, the game this evening, Baltimore at Las Vegas. You'll get to hear that on these airwaves this evening. So looking forward to that. Uh, the Bears lose 34-14. to And everything you needed to know about the Bears kind of happened in the first drive of the game, PA. Uh, opening kickoff. I think he was a six-round pick. Khalil Herbert. Uh, takes the kickoff 50 yards, PA. 50-yard mm. return for Khalil Herbert. Mm. So they they have it first and 10 on their own 47-yard line. Yeah, Montgomery, first carry of the game. A 41-yard run into the Rams' red zone. Now they're feeling good. It's like first and 10 at the 12. Are you kidding me with, with this Bears drive summary? I mean, out of the gate, interception, then Rams score. Bears turnover on downs. Rams get a field goal. Bears take three. Fumble, Rams get another field goal. Wow. Indeed, yeah. On that opening drive, just a few plays later, he had Andy Dalton throw a pick in the red zone. He also lost a fumble as well. False start inside the five. A lot of bad things happened on that opening drive. That highlight I played for you, PA, uh, included a Cooper Cup that was about 20 yards clear of anybody on the Bears' defense last night. Some coverage-related issues yeah. for this secondary without Mr. Fuller and trying to reorganize that thing. Uh, Adrian Amos, that's that guy's been gone for a couple of years now, but nobody was playing well on the back end for those guys last night. Jalen Johnson, Kendall Vildor, wow. uh, that's a huge problem for them. A 57-yard touchdown, I think a 67-yard catch and and, uh, for Van Jefferson at one point as well. So, terrific night for the Rams offensively. Stafford, they thought they had escaped him as he goes out west and he was beating them in L.A. at SoFi last evening. Six catches for 35 yards for Allen Robinson. They had no pass plays longer than 20 yards last night. Yeah, That David Montgomery run for 41 yards, was their longest play, the first play on offense. Everything looks bad for the Bears. Who the heck is M. Christian, the um, the corner they're using, M. Christian? M. Christian. Yeah, they got M. Christian. I know the Johnson kid, he's second year. Vildor, the Georgia Southern kid, can't play. Deshaun Gibson, not a fan. Eddie Jackson tailed off last year, um, but Eddie can play a little bit. So they So they were without Eddie Goldman. Uh, Robert Quinn, Bilal Nichols, Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack. Marquis Christian. Marquis Christian. He's a safety. Really? 
You know, they got, uh, well, he played, um, he started at nickel yesterday. And um, so they went with the three safety look using the nickel. Okay. He must be new to the mix. I'm not seeing him on there. Oh, there he is. Back end of the depth chart there. Yeah. yeah after Duke Shelley, Dion yeah. Bush. Yeah, he's in the Josh Metellus part of the depth chart. Yeah, and he was showing it last night. So the Bears, they lose 34-14. A lot of people will already be continuing the Justin Fields conversation. He had a rushing touchdown, a bit of offense, a bit of life for the Bears yeah. in the third quarter. A disastrous opening night for the Bears. Didn't lose anybody for the season from my standpoint, though. So, the Bears, 0-1 in the NFC North. And, of course, finally. Second and 10, balls on the 45. Jameis under center, takes it back. Straight back in the pocket. He's looking deep. He's looking for Deontay Harris. He's open. And Deontay makes the catch. See you later, bye. Touchdown, Saints. See you later, bye. Mike Haas. The, the, uh, Where did Zach Streif go? You so said wait. he's a coach now? Yeah, uh, so with the Bears, so Jason Peters, they're really going to use him full-time at left tackle. Okay, so Whitehair's not the center. Mustafer is. Daniels and Whitehair are the guards. Jermaine Effetti might be a better guard than both of them. He's certainly meaner, and they use him at tackle. Cole Komet is their... Wow. So they're not using Elijah Wilkinson? They, holy cow, man, have they changed things up with your Chicago Bears. Wow. Okay. Uh, with No, Zach, uh, Zach Streif, uh, who was an unbalanced offensive lineman in the Bounty Gate game, and he was quite good at it. He was the extra offensive lineman. He was their Vox, and uh, now he is a coach on the um, staff for the New Orleans Saints. And I'm even after the conversation with super special Sultan of Smug, I mean, it's it's like the Vikings lost to a team that always runs last in its division, you know. But it 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 was a winnable game right at the end. But then we dropped the ball despite all of the inadequacy. It was a real football game. What happened down Jacksonville way yesterday for the green and gold? That's not a real football game. No, the Packers not scoring a touchdown is not real. It's an aberration. Juicy A. Raj. With with uh, with with the the red zone interception, which is super rare for him, yeah, that's part of the game. But the the Packers game was an absolute aberration, losing by thirty one points and not scoring a touchdown. I mean, what what would be more realistic is probably what will happen next game when they play Detroit. They'll lose, but it'll be a real football game. They'll just lose by three. Sorry, K fair. <laughs> The first half of that game, the Saints had two drives that were 15 plays each. One of them nearly eight minutes long. The other one, a 10-minute drive, both resulting in touchdowns. So in the first half... I wonder um, how much A-Rodge was yelling at the GM next-level Goody going, Hey, nice uh, free agent pickups with those Smith kids. Nice job. I loved watching Aaron in the most classic of ref whining modes, the shrug, the mannerisms on the field, nothing's going right, and he's wearing it all on those green and gold sleeves. 12 walks by next level Goody and goes, funny, didn't need Jamal. (laughs) His first interception, (laughs) his first interception, he's under pressure, and it is a bad throw to Devontae, but you can see what's happening. Mm -hmm. His second interception, two passing attempts later, He's just throwing it deep to center field. And Marcus Williams, it was just pitch and catch. Well over the head of MVS. He gets the deep return. Sidney was right. Jameis, that roughing the passer call on Zadarius Smith, 
was awful. Mm. As bad as not overturning that Justin Jefferson touchdown, in my opinion. As bad as not seeing Dalvin's butt on the turf and leaving it as a fumble. It was a terrible call. It didn't bail him out, though, in the grand scheme of the game. The Packers look terrible. Jordan Love comes on. He's 5 of 7, but he loses a fumble. Uh, it's awful, but they get bailed out in some ways because they host the Lions next. So Northern Plights, PA, everybody in the division is 0-1. Everybody looking for answers. It's cool, though, we get to play the NFC West, who look like an absolute juggernaut of yeah. the division this year. Yeah, so uh, the with, with the NFC West, chickens win. A Rams win. They all won. Yeah. Tyler wins. Who am I, I'm, oh, the Rams. Wow. Damn, they all won. 4-0 and against 0-4. Let's go. I think that, well, Rams were the only home team. Yeah. You had Seattle going to Indy. They got the victory. Carson Wentz, though. Yeah. And then you had Niners at Detroit. Mm. Oof. Oh, Niners. That's what I was thinking of. And then, uh, and then Arizona put that on the Titans yeah. in Mike Vrabel's house yeah. on opening day. Yeah. Oof. Chandler Jones. What a what a pain in the ass. That uh, the, that's the recap of the NFC North, uh, the loser division with nobody winning and everybody taking fat L's just one week into it. Um, it's called Northern Plights. Now there were other games around the National Football League, and uh, we will discuss uh, what was a fascinating opening week uh, to yours truly when nine to noon continues at FM one hundred point three KFAN. Here's what the 9 to noon entertainment docket looks like into the second half of the presentation. P.J. Fleck, coach of the Golden Gophers, will join us each and every Monday at 1040. 10.40 in the morning for uh, P.J. Fleck. That's about 17 minutes from now. And uh, Justin Gard, sideline analyst for Golden Gophers football. Uh, he will join an hour and 20 minutes from now. Golden Gophers beat uh, Miami of Ohio in what turned out to be a spine tingler. Uh, but uh, they got to the winner's circle, meaning the team is one and one. And um, some Vikings-related calls with reaction to all of the action from the loss at Cincinnati yesterday. That's going to be about an hour from now, about 11.15 after uh, 9 to noon, offers up some more Minnesota Vikings takes and talkers at 11. Meanwhile, uh, we have NFL Dunord. Absolutely. And NFL versions of Dunord brought to you, of course, by Canterbury's Car Casino. CanterburyPark.com. Learn more about uh, not only elite food and restaurant-related dining, but in the card casino, poker, blackjack, table games. That's taking place all year. Now, remind me, this is the final week of live racing. Is that accurate? Uh, Yes, and we have free admission Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So it is uh, the final three days of racing at what has been uh, one of uh, my favorite Canterbury seasons I've had in my 27 years there. Because the pandemic season with no fans and moving to weekdays was so awful that this year with three weekdays and, and family day on Sunday... I just really, really enjoyed the company and enjoyed myself this year. And Festival of Champions Day was phenomenal with a bunch of upsets and exciting races. So sadly, uh, Canterbury Park's live racing comes to a conclusion Thursday. 
free admission Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Tomorrow, we begin at 5. Wednesday, we begin at 5. And closing day Thursday, we begin at 4 o'clock. So come out and um, say hello as we say goodbye and get information at CanterburyPark.com. Some games in the NFL taking place yesterday that intrigued me. This one came down to a fumble. Smith and Henry, each with a hand down right, the two tight ends. Myers to the right. Give to Damian Harris. Runs it right. And he bruises his way forward. Ball came loose. Damian Harris fumbled. He got to the eight-yard line. The Dolphins say they have it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Damian Harris rammed into a defender. And the ball popped free. Miami has it. He got stuck. Damn. Here those Miami cheers at Gillette. Wow. Oh, yeah. The fans were in attendance. There's no doubt about that. And uh, that was the the go-ahead potential touchdown that the that the Patriots were driving for. Overall, pretty nice actual debut for Mac Jones. 281 yards and a touchdown, 39 attempts, 125 on the ground, including 100 from Damian Harris despite that fumble. Yeah, Tua was fine. Tua was just okay. Tua not explosive. Tua handled business. Tua had a rushing touchdown. But it was a lot of field goals yesterday, yeah. and uh, they were lucky to get out alive on the road. 17-16, Dolphins took the ball and winded down that clock after that happened, PA. Yeah, I'm watching the condensed game right now at NFL.com, and and looking at Mac Jones run that play action, damn, does he run that play action nicely. And, and you know, w- w- without really knowing what I'm talking about, because I haven't watched the game back or, or like, critically watched it, um, it seems like New England's offensive line was having massive problems yesterday, man. I mean, you just got people all up in Mac Jones' mix every single play I'm seeing here. Brian Flores was Bill Belichick's right-hand man. And Bill never talked about him, even though he was the defensive coordinator. But Brian was very important to what Bill did. And he knows how to beat Bill. They they have speed on defense and offensively, they're getting better. But their defensive speed, man, and in some games I saw last year, and they're better on defense now, their pursuit and tackling is really, really good. Mm. So um, uh, Flores caught the Patriots at a very good time in the debut of a rookie quarterback. And um, and they get the money, they get to the winner's circle, though. Absolutely. I believe it was a 22-10 to 10 lead at half for the Cleveland Browns, but, well... Those Chiefs just keep storming back, and here is your dagger from Sweet Nectar. A minute 17 to go in the game. Pump faking is Mayfield. Now we'll throw it to the left. Flat, it's going to be intercepted! Intercepted on the far side by Mike Hughes in his first National Football League game with the Chiefs. The former Viking first-round pick picks it off, and the Chiefs are going to pull this game out after trailing for 53 game minutes. Courtesy of, why'd you have to put former Viking in there, Mitch? That's Mitch Holtis, 106.5 The Wolf, Champion Radio, Chiefs Radio Network. Uh, That was the comeback drive after Mahomes and the Chiefs just stormed back into this one. Tyreek with a 75-yard touchdown. Hey. Kelsey found his way to the end zone because he always freaking does. Yeah, uh, there was a four. There was a turnover on downs for the Browns in the early stages of the fourth quarter uh, from their own area. As a matter of fact, actually, that was a punt. I don't, that was a punt, and the punter completely whiffed the catch, which then led, I think, to that. Uh, was it? Yeah, it was a Kelsey touchdown after that. So Can special you start teams, that whole thing again. What happened? It was a turnover on downs, but I misspoke. 
when they were punting. Cleveland? Yes. The punter completely biffed it deep in their own territory. That led to a 15-yard uh, easy drive for the for the Chiefs to yeah. go ahead, and uh, it was lights out from there. Kelsey gets that touchdown. Two-point conversion uh, is incomplete. 33-29, to 29, the final. Stefanski gave him hell, and he couldn't get out of there with a victory. Yeah. The, um, uh, the, the Cleveland Browns defense, I mean... Whether it's draft, free agency, skeletal remains of Jadeveon Clowney. I mean, they really, really put a lot of time into that defense. And, I mean, Mahomes is an MVP candidate the minute he walks onto the field. Likewise for Tyreek Hill and maybe Travis Kelsey. Uh, but still, giving up that amount of points, specifically giving up point that many points that late. You know, the, the, the Chiefs had three points with six minutes to go in the first half. So the three can't turn into any kind of a 30, even if you're playing against Patrick Mahomes. That um, clearly was a very difficult loss for the Cleveland Browns. But as they kind of showed in the postseason last year, and as they more so but still kind of showed yesterday, they're sitting on a victory over the over the Kansas City Chiefs, and and they, I mean, they're so close to being able to beat this team. Uh, if they can shore things up defensively, then um, then you know specifically looking at this condensed game here, these missed tackles, yeah, holy cow, Kevin! Um, it um, <laughs> they they're going to win that division, and um, they'll meet again. These teams will meet again, and um, Kevin has something nice going with these Cleveland Browns couple of quickies for you. Second and seven. Now Robinson motions out of there, so it's an empty backfield. Under center is Trevor. Two tight ends here. He drops the throw. Fires middle of the field. Caught by Chris Manhurts into the end zone. Touchdown! Lawrence to Manhurts for the score, and Jacksonville is on the board. Well, with the 13th play of the drive, 13 is usually unlucky number. Lucky for the Jaguars in this one. Just a nice seam route to Manhurts. And how about Manhurts? How about Manhurts? That courtesy must be Tony Baselli next to Frangie there, uh, Jaguars Radio Network. Uh, nice touchdown there. First touchdown of Trevor Lawrence's career. One of three that he had yesterday. He also had three interceptions. Nope. And uh, Tyrod Taylor for nearly 300, two scores, and no picks. Sacked just once. Houston ran for a buck sixty on that Jaguars defense, mm. and uh, Tyrod Taylor looked pretty good. Kurt, uh, Brandon Cooks five catches, one hundred and thirty-two yards. Would have been a nice one-hit wonder if you had him in your lineup for this seemingly awful Houston Texans this, squad that the, put thirty-seven on the Jaguars. This John Johnson, the free agent, the calm picked up from um, from the Rams and got a tough. Uh, he lost the game for him yesterday. Oh my God! Are you kidding me with John Johnson, the safety? He single-handedly lost the game. Uh, Lawrence will be fine. The uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars being favored on the road. I mean, that's ridiculous. I don't care if you're playing North Dakota State University or Liberty, and um, and 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 Liberty with Gabe Henderson as the as the top offensive threat. The the Jaguars are they have so many problems that it seemed like a perception play or a perception line having them favored. On the road against Houston without Deshaun, J.J. Watt leaves, DeAndre Hopkins is gone from two years ago, and so on and so on. And they got a new coach, and they're Houston, man. It's just, you have so many, so much negativity swirling around that squad. But um, the Jacksonville ja- Jaguars, I got to I gotta give Paul, Paul Charchian props on this because he's done a really good job of pointing out the inadequacy with the Jaguars' offense, despite the diminutive running back, 
uh, some additions in free agency to the receiving core, and Trevor Lawrence is the first overall pick. Absolutely. And real John qu- Tannehill on fourth down. Hit and sacked. <laughs> it's Chandler Jones. Five sacks on the day for 55. Chandler Jones making some money. Oh, yeah, man. making some money indeed. Courtesy of the Cardinals Radio Network, 38-13's the final. Uh, Tannehill just under extreme duress all freaking day. And uh, Kyler, Murley, Kyler Murray, near perfect, had a pick, four TDs, ran another one in. They ran the ball well yesterday. DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk each had a couple of touchdowns. Yep. The Cardinals in Nashville looked fantastic. That's the next opponent for yeah, the Yeah, the, the Tennessee Titans, the, this game has aberration to it. Arizona's good, but Arizona is not that much better than the Titans. You see, the Titans stop getting bit, okay? Uh, that That's the end of the story. Just stop getting, stop going to Tampa in the preseason, stop going to Ybor City, and stop getting bit. Tannehill was not close to the Ryan Tannehill people have seen the last few years. And they had some players who were coming back after missing practices. So they, they were in a really difficult spot. Vikings and Arizona Cardinals, 3 o'clock, KFAN this Sunday. The Golden Gophers football team plays uh, Colorado at Boulder this weekend. Let's discuss that game and um, get an update on the Gophers football presentation from P.J. Fleck when 9 to noon continues at KFAN. KFAN. Keith the tight end. They will give it power football to Potts. Trying the left side. Has the first down. Has a touchdown. Minnesota Golden Gophers on a five-yard scamper around left end. And it's six-zip Minnesota. They get the turnover. They turn it into points. Eight offensive linemen, including the tight end. And boom, just like that, the Golden Gophers are out front six-nothing. Thank you, Minneapolis. P.J. Fleck, Paul Allen, how you been? doing elite paul how are you my main man congratulations on that victory over the weekend uh you uh you knowing i'm racetrack raised and trained sometimes it doesn't matter how you get to the winner's circle as long as you're getting your picture taken after any race and the final score was 31 26 but you got the money and you guys found a victory did did the the what what positive steps did you guys take during that miami ohio game well, first of all, we got tested, uh, and we got tested late, uh, and our players had to step up and go make plays. Uh, they were held to the fire, and they found a way to win the football game. And you, you, need, you need to get battle tested as you continue to get ready for Big Ten play. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've, we've done that. We played the number four team in the country. Uh, we had a lead going into halftime, lost the lead. We learned from that. Uh, and then we had the lead at halftime. They came back, and instead of losing the lead, I mean, we found a way to respond to that. So there's so many positives that came from it. I thought we played a really, really good defense besides three plays, which, uh, you know, I mean, Miami, Ohio threw the ball down the field uh, 12 times and happened to hit three of them, but they hit three of them, and they were costly. Uh, those were three costly catches. Uh, we're contested. We're in the right position. Just our fundamentals and technique weren't exactly uh, the best. Um, and on offense, we were able to run the football, but we've got to be able to throw the ball better and execute uh, when we do. Uh, and uh, we found a lot of things that we can get better at. Uh, we had some big special teams plays, some special teams kicks, and some returns. So uh, there's a lot to take from it. But, again, uh, whether we win or lose, we're always going to learn, and uh, that's what we did this week. You get um, uh, Trey Potts goes for 178-2, and two, obviously the first game without Mohammed. So either in this game or off this game, when you get a back to go for 178, 
uh, do, do you expect the play action to be where you need it? Because when, when, when Ibrahim went down, I started thinking, okay, running play action in the next game, it might be difficult, was it? A little bit more difficult than, than we probably expected, which is a credit to Miami. They did a really good job of stacking the box, playing us in different coverages. Um, that took a lot of some of the RPO stuff away. But, again, it's all about how the game flows, right? When you're up 21-3, you're going to call it maybe a little bit differently uh, than, you know, if you're down 21-3. to And, you know, every play is a play within itself and, and, there's, and there's its own situation. So, you know, we learned that from – we learned a lot uh, you know, from that with, with coaches. Uh, our coaches learned a lot from that. But, you know, we've got to be able to have, you know, better play action pass. You know, we, we came out in the second half and threw, uh, went three and out and three and out, but we threw the ball a little bit. We had, we had a, you know, we fell down on a route that was open, uh, and then we dropped the ball. And you can't do those things. And our, our, our young wideouts learn from that. And we've got to be able to find a way to continue to be able to be very, very consistent in how we play and execute. It comes down to execution. If we execute those, those catches, the game isn't as close as it is. With, um, um, back to that Ohio State game, I just heard so much about your guys' offensive line and the size and the, you know, the, the, the cunning and the guile and the veteran, the veteran leadership from that line. And then I watched the Ohio State game. I'm like, damn, man. Yeah. Especially the center. I hadn't heard much about the center. When I, I watched back a couple of plays from your center in that Ohio State game, I thought he was terrific. What I'm getting at here is when you lose maybe your your best overall offensive player in Mohammed, yet you have that line and an experienced quarterback. As you move forward, what are some things you can lean on uh, with the injury to the running back as you move forward and kind of cultivate and build? Yeah, first of all, I think you, you don't ever sit there and just replace, the, I think, the best player in the Big Ten. Um, I think that's, you know, that was voted on last year, and, and I think he's one of the best in the country and probably one of the best players ever to play at Minnesota. And so it's hard just to be able to plug somebody in and say we're going to be the same. Yeah. But what it does is it allows the guys that are behind him to step in and, and get their chance now um, and, and be opportunistic about that chance, whether it's Trey Potts or whether it's Cam or whether it's Bryce or whether it's Bucky Irving or whether it's Kai Thomas. It, who's going to be the next one to emerge? Not only that, it puts more uh, responsibility upon our tight ends with Coe Keith and Brevin Span Ford and our whole line to play even better than they have. Uh, our wideouts, it puts more responsibility on, on Chris Oppman Bell and, and, and Dalen Wright and Daniel Jackson and Michael Brown Stevens. Uh, and they have the ability to do that. It allows, and, and, and we've we got to continue to be more balanced as we go forward, but everybody's got to be able to play a little bit better. And everybody's going to be called upon maybe a little bit more than they would if Muhammad was, uh, was healthy. So uh, this is what I meant about this being a team. It, it takes everybody to play really well and to execute after something like a Muhammad injury happens. PJ, how, how'd you come across Trey Potts? I mean, he's a Williamsport, Pennsylvania native, and, and I'm assuming he absorbs the playbook and, and the nuance and the checks and everything pretty quickly. Credit to this kid, man. Academic All Big Ten in 2020. Yeah, he, you know, he's a perfect fit for us. You know, we, we look around the country for the right fit, you know, and just because a guy's a really good player or highly ranked, it might not be for us. Um, we look for the right fit, and Trey Potts is the right fit for us. He overcame an injury in high school, um, and I think he kind of got overlooked a little bit. And that's a perfect type of guy for me, uh, where he always has something to prove to himself that he's exactly who he says he is. And, uh, you know, he can, he's really good in the pass game. He's got great vision. He's got great balance. He can go from speed to power pretty quickly. Um, he, you know, he plays the game bigger than he is. 
which is kind of our MO at tailback. Uh, they're all overachievers. And, and Trey Potts is that, one of the hardest workers on our team, which is credit to Mohamed Ibrahim. Mohamed Ibrahim has come in and completely uh, changed over the years just our entire culture with how hard he works and how, what he demands from his room. And that has rubbed off on the backs now. Uh, and he, that's part of leaving a legacy. And he's done that. And Trey Potts has done that from Williamsport, Pennsylvania. He's got a great family. Uh, and, and his whole life's important to him. Trey Potts is a guy who loves his whole life, academically, athletically, socially, spiritually. And now it's his opportunity uh, to really put the, you know, put the majority of the carries on his shoulders and, and lead our football team. P.J. Fleck, weekly 9 to noon, about 1040 each and every Monday. Colorado, the bill affair on the road, first road game for P.J.'s team next week. Of course, it'll be heard on KFAM. This, um, this kicker, Matthew Trickett, how did we get him from Kent State? I mean, you know, I ain't trying to jinx anybody, not that jinxes are real, but this kid is terrific. Well, you know, he's been terrific up to this point, and, and it's no surprise because he's a wonderful person. Uh, and the nobody works. I mean, we talk about work ethic, right, PA? And this team works so hard. That's why I said at the beginning of the year, I just, they're so fun to coach because hmm. it's fun to coach them because they all want to be coached. I mean, Matthew Trickett is a football player, but he's a kicker. Yeah. You know, so th- that's the MO of our football team. And that's why they're so fun to coach. That doesn't promise you 12 wins, but it promises you that every time you go out there to coach, everybody wants to get better. And that's not every year. That doesn't happen all the time. Uh, sometimes you have to force it. Sometimes it's, there's a lot more resistance. Sometimes you got to convince people. Uh, this team wants to be coached, and uh, he's no different. Uh, he's kicked in a lot of big games. He was a special teams player of the year last year in the Mid-American Conference. Uh, he's a really intelligent young man. His life, again, is really important to MPA on and off the field. Uh, and he's no different than most of the guys on our team. But, uh, you know, for the opportunity he's been called on, he's, 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 he's rose to the occasion, but he came in yesterday and worked even harder. And that's his change your best mentality. When you, when you watch back the Colorado Texas A&M game, it's a 10-7 game, which does not, it's antithetical to everything you'll see in college football from a score standpoint. What, what kind of a game was it? What led to that 10-7? Well, I think Colorado's defense is spectacular. They fly around, they tackle really well. Uh, they run all types of blitzes and stunts, and they're flying around based out of a 3-4. They're coming from all different angles, um, and they, they cover really well. So they can bring all that pressure and create a lot of uh, indecision for quarterbacks, um, you know, murky the water down the field, uh, and, and really turn it into the second play really quickly. They're really good tacklers. They're really tough. This team won a lot of games last year. Uh, they got everybody back. On the offensive side of the ball, the quarterback's young, but he's a really good passer, and then he can run and, and create with his legs. He's a really great athlete. Offensive line's experience. they got two really good tailbacks that they use, and they got wideouts on the outside that can really play. So, you know, I mean, they, they, they played to their strength. They played incredible defense. Uh, they shortened the game. They ran the ball effectively. Uh, again, the defense really played tremendously and, and gave them a chance to win at the end. You, um, uh, you, you are, you, you're a master motivator and a head coach. And you, so therefore, I mean, you're, you're in charge of everything with the program, but I'm guessing at heart, given you played wide receiver, you coach wide receivers in the NFL is, you know, you're an offensive guy. And, and correct me if I'm wrong here. When, when I hear they blitz a lot and they're very aggressive, that does that make you rub your hands together with a veteran offensive line, a quarterback who uh, who's played a bunch of games and nice wide receivers? Don't don't you invite blitzing in situations like that? 
Well, it just depends on what your what you know what formation and what personnel groupings you're in and what the game plan comes down to. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we want to be as balanced as possible, and and balance doesn't always mean PA fifty yeah. fifty. You know, it also it means that if you're a balanced team and you can win being balanced, meaning you can win based on what's presented to win. If you have to throw the ball more because of the blitzes and because of, you know, the, the different looks and maybe some one-on-one coverage and mixing some zone blitzes in with man coverage, if you have to throw it, you have to be able to win the ball throwing uh, or win the game throwing. If you have to be able to run the ball, you have to be able to get in heavier personnel, then you have to be able to do that. So I think being the balanced offense is what we're doing everything we can every day to become whether it's running the ball, throwing the ball, whatever's needed to win the football game, that's what we want to be able to do. Tell up, tell us about Tyler Newbin and also new guys making big plays all game. I mean, you great experience, it seemed, from afar, PJ, for your depth guys in that Miami-Ohio game. Well, that, you know, our, our depth was challenged. You know, we got basically five starters out right now, and, uh, you know, our depth was challenged really early in the season, you know, especially with Mo going down and then Jordan Howden going down and, and other guys going down. So, you know, with, with Chris Ottman Bell going down, it's been challenged. And, you know, but I, I'm always a half full guy, right? And uh, glass half full. And, and what it did was it provided during training camp and provided some other opportunities, even the last week or so, for other guys to get a lot of reps, gain a lot of experience, you know, get held to the fire and, and be able to have to respond in, in pressure situations. Uh, Tyler Newbin's one of those guys that, you know, if you go back to his first start, he probably wasn't really proud of maybe his first start, but it's come such a long way. He's an incredible competitor. He's a really good athlete. And he's really become a tremendous football player and taken ownership of the secondary. We needed that this year. And he stepped up. And I think part of that responsibility has been his brother came this year to play on our football team. His name is Jordan Newman. He's a true freshman. Yeah. And I think that really helped uh, help Tyler uh, mature. When you've got blood on your team and uh, you, you, know, you brought him here and told him this is the right place for him, you, there's a responsibility to really lead him through that and lead him through the tough times that he's going to have and, and just the changes he's going to have and even the good times. So I think Tyler's really grown up really quickly. He's got a long way to go, but Tyler loves football and he loves playing the game and it's shown the last few games. Uh, last one, PJ, and thanks for the time as usual. Uh, glass half full all day, hashtag faith all day. However, on the other side, zero sacks through two. How, how do you guys get home to a quarterback? or even maybe apply more pressure without blitzing? Yeah, I think that was kind of the conundrum you're in when you're playing Ohio State. First of all, you talked about our offensive line being big and strong, and then you walked Ohio State's line out here, and I didn't feel so big and strong anymore when I saw those guys. (laughs) Um, And and we're pretty big, right? And you go into a game plan of, you know, if you just sit there and blitz the quarterback and you leave those guys on -on one-on-one islands, as to your point earlier, then that might not be the best game plan. Um, and they got the ball out of their hand at Ohio State, moved the pocket, and they're really good up front. Last week's game, if you looked at it, the ball was out of the quarterback's hand immediately, whether it was quick game or whether it was throwing the ball. I mean, they, they took shots down the field 12 to 14 times where they just they threw the ball just you know down the field. They dropped back, didn't allow any type of read, and just chucked it in the air. So it, you're not going to get a bunch of sacks when it's that way. Now, I like we got a bunch of tackle for losses in the run game. Um, I'm going to focus on those things. There'll be plenty of opportunities as we continue to go forward to to add more sacks. But if, if sacks just equaled wins, then that would be the main focus. Uh, but it, in, in the last two games, it hasn't equaled, you know, what it was going to take to win the football games uh, based based on the game plan. Uh, but we want sacks. Uh, we, obviously, we we promote them. We want to get home uh, with four. 
Uh, and we've got to continue to do that as we keep going through the year. You, um, uh, you've been to Folsom Field, I assume. My, my, my daughter goes to CU Denver. She has a class in Boulder. So I've seen Folsom Field. It's, I mean, smack dab on campus, campus. It's just beautiful. Yeah, I've never been there. Uh, I've heard a lot about it. I've seen a lot of pictures of it. You know, we do a lot of off-season studies, and, you know, our DFO has traveled out there. Uh, we've done a lot of studies with, with professors and the medical people uh, on the altitude of what to do, how to schedule it. Yeah. Talk to a lot of NFL organizations that travel out to Denver to go play. What do they do? I mean, we spent hours and hours and hours uh, of creating a schedule this week of what we're going to do and how we're going to be able to do it. Uh, and then we're going to apply that this week. Excellent point. I mean, I would imagine you've heard dehydration a fair amount, right? Well, I've heard everything, altitude, dehydration, yeah. uh, the length of time you're out there, what it does to your body, how long does it take to, to kick in on the effects of your body, how long do you stay out there until it has an effect, uh, what do you do if you're going to be there longer than 24 hours, what do you do if you're going to be there less than 24 hours, uh, all those types of things. So, And then you, you got to get you show the team what it's going to look like. I mean, they have signs all over the place about the altitude, 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 and they brand that really heavily. And uh, so we've shown pictures in the offseason of what that place looks like, what the branding is trying to do to their minds, uh, and, and they do a good job of that. But, uh, you know, we've put the medical data behind it, uh, the NFL data behind it, and, and, and really kind of adapted our, our schedule accordingly. Hey, PJ, go tear it up next week. Keep everybody healthy, and I'll chat with you next week, all right? Yeah, I appreciate it, bro. The boat's guy, Mago Gophers, and Skull Vikes. I appreciate you, PJ. See you later. PJ Fleck, weekly 9 to noon. Some Vikings conversation around the corner, then uh, your Vikings-related phone calls uh, in uh, the penultimate segment for today's radio show. More, more Gophers football conversation with JG at 1140. It's Paul Allen from the 651 Carpets studio. You're listening. This is the fan. The thing about equipment and, and, you know, bad trouble was the, the penalties. You know, starting first and 20 and third and 22, you know, you can't win football games like that. Cousins from under center. Hey! Oh, almost got away from the pressure, but he couldn't. And then he was driven down. Holy cow. B.J. Hill, a behemoth nose tackle from NC State. Threw eight back for eight. And now it'll be second and 18. in the pocket, throws to the end zone, T. Higgins uncovered, touchdown Cincinnati, Xavier Woods, the closest guy to him, he's about a mile away, so Burrow to Higgins, Cincinnati has its first touchdown of the 2021, and it's 7-6, Minnesota. This is an old-fashioned ass-kicking right here. Strike is a very strong man, Peter. Snap, spot, make 
McPherson, the gator with the big leg. Boom. It's a big blitz by Cincy. Come on, Kirk. Make him pay. Ah, they made him pay. B.J. Hill along with a blitzing corner. Mike Hilton got to Kirk Cousins. They sacked him. Clock runs. Loss of 10. Nerd and stopped immediately. Bengals saying it was a fumble. Dalvin, you did not fumble, did you? Dalvin? Waiting for a signal. Oh, oh come on. The ball. Three yards. 24-24 in overtime. Five seconds to go. Snap spot. McPherson's kick is good. And the Cincinnati Bengals have defeated the Minnesota Vikings in overtime. 27-24. Nice work there by the master mixer of the Monday montage, Eric Nordquist, and I'm Paul Allen. Into the final hour of the 9 to Noon radio show. Welcome back to the Love Covenant. And um, indeed, there is work to do, but um, uh, the the some of the work that needs to be done and, and something that, that truly caught me off guard yesterday is now the Cincinnati Bengals ran for 149 yards. So when you when you bring in Michael Pierce or you have Michael Pierce and you bring in Dalvin Tomlinson and you get Daniel off a layoff and Eric Kendricks off uh, off an injury related layoff you get, you got the hitman and um and so on the 149 is not supposed to happen so that now against Chase Edmonds and and maybe more importantly Kyler Murray uh that that's going to be something to pay attention to the 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 let me reset three two now giving up 149 yards the way they gave it up to to Samaje uh, Pirine and Joe Mixon is antithetical to what you're going to face this weekend because Kyler Murray Joe Mixon could give Kyler Joe Mixon could have a 25 yard head start and Kyler Murray would beat him in a 100 yard dash. Likewise for the former uh, Washington player, the P. Ryan Cat. Edmonds, along with Kyler, the Arizona's so fast. They just have so many fast players. And, and they added Rondale Moore, the Purdue kid, who busts out of the slot, and he's super fast too. Defensively, they're also very fast. But from an offensive standpoint, it's copyright bump. I guess it depends on whose ox is being gored. Because Mixon was getting, he was getting some yardage between the tackles. Then they went wide. And when they went wide, it took Zimmer's defense a little while to correct that, but eventually they did. Then it was apparent to me, specifically on a day with a heat index at 93, and it was humid as bleep there yesterday in Cincinnati at Paul Brown Stadium. Um, some some Vikings defensive players got tired at the end of the game, and um, specifically in overtime, you you could just see towards the end of the game there were missed tackles by players like Eric Kendricks that I just honestly I I can't say I've ever seen. Uh, I I don't know how many tackles Eric missed. 
you know, but but Mixon, he's not a jump cut back. But he was a jump cut back yesterday because he's super fresh into the first game of the season. And that's just not how his cliched bread is buttered. But there were a couple of subtle little jump cuts that made 54 missed tackles. I'm just not used to seeing that. Hitman missed a tackle late in the game. Not used to seeing that, but he's not going to throw a no-hitter. He had a sack. And, and Harrison Smith, he had one of the coolest plays I, I mean, that, that I can remember that was actually not a play. And it was later in the game when the Bengals had the ball and Hitman cheats up to the left of our defensive end and to the right of Joe Burrow. And Bur- he made Burrow change the play twice because Joe was so jacked up on what Harrison was doing that eventually they called a timeout. And then you see Hitman pump his fist and somebody else pump their fist because what they were they were doing, it worked. And and, you know, so so there obviously were some some very good moments in the game for uh, Eric Hendricks and or Harrison Smith. One forty nine at the end, at the end of the equation. That just ain't going to cut it. But the the missed tackles are, are what surprised me. Now, you know, it's <clears throat> when 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 the Vikings signed safety Xavier Woods. And and I'm not going to say I'm certainly not going to say I was not in favor of that signing, uh, because because the that I'm not going to second guess those who put the time in and have an opinion with the amount of money they have to spend. Uh, I'm not going to second guess that un, until we start playing games and watching players play, and then we can analyze the who, what, where, when, and why. But if anybody who listens to this radio show and and even quasi pays attention, what I said with Xavier Woods from his Dallas days was exactly who he was yesterday. I just don't know what he does. Okay? And and like I said, I said whether it's throwing the ball straight to Daniel Jones, you know, and then like looking at interception totals when he was with Dallas, okay. Danny Dimes, I've seen, I've seen like three of his four career interceptions have have just been thrown right to him. And Woods yesterday, I you know, I I just don't know what he does exceedingly well. And that's not like Anthony Harris is John Lynch reincarnate. It's not like he's Ronnie Lott reincarnate because he's not, you know. But but the problem I had with the way the whole thing went down is I felt that there was too much magnification being put on Harris's bad pandemic year with Gladney and Dantzler and Hand and Tankersley and Jones. And and Harrison Smith, for my taste, had one of the best seasons of his career last year because of the subtlety and, and how he had to stay with what he was doing as long as he could when he knew one of the kids were messing up. And then he'd sprint over there and, you know, people would be like, you know, Hitman was late. No, Hitman wasn't late. He's probably late one out of ten times. He's covering for somebody else. And and Harrison was just really, really team-oriented last year. Anthony Harris had a terrible year. And, and I mean, you got Scotty Miller running behind him. you got Khalif Raymond running behind him. And, and he was late on angles and everything. Okay, he went pear-shaped, and now he's gone. And he's with the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'm not saying I, I never said, and I'm still not going to say that we've upgraded at that position. And, and you know, it's, it's when, when, when I'm calling the game yesterday and then I'm watching some of it back, back now between segments, 
I'm just trying to figure out what Xavier does well. I mean, do 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 we knife gaps and blow up runners? There's no blitz component to him. There just never has been in his career. Maybe there will be here, but there there wasn't yesterday. Uh, on the on the corner route to I believe T Higgins right in front of the Vikings bench, it, Patrick Peterson was the one that got lost. So, but that's a correctable situation. It's like the only play in the game that went the way of Patrick Peterson because they're picking on Breland and they're they're testing linebackers on their drops and they win at Mac a few times and and Mac dropped a cinch interception. Hmm. Boyd comes in then they go at Chris. So they were avoiding Patrick Peterson and and you know I don't this is not this is not an affront or a knock on Patrick. Yeah, because he's a Hall of Fame player and he's adjusting to a new defense and he's very smart. He's not as fast as he used to be when he was like the fifth overall pick or sixth overall pick in 2011, a year we took uh, Christian Ponder like uh, six or seven picks later. Um, so so he's not that guy. He's not the four-punt return touchdown guy, all pro three times, you know, once as a special teams guy because of his punt returns. Patrick's fantastic. I think he fell asleep on that play because he, he was getting so little action during the game, it's almost like he should have had his phone in, in a makeshift back pocket in the back of his uniform so he could check up on text and look at Twitter during the game because there was no action his way. So he 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 was he got lost on a corner route to T. Higgins, right by the boundary. It looked like he bit on a route that was shallow. Yes. There, was, there was a guy running and so yes. the idea from my perspective would be that he would want to pay more attention to the deeper route, and then be able to go downhill on a five-yard little outpass. I believe that to be the correct answer, in that there there are two routes, and he stayed too long with the shorter one, and then the recovery's not Trey Waynes-esque, where they're not bragging about Patrick Peterson saying, oh, you're going to love this guy. His catch-up <laughs> speed's unbelievable. I mean, just they, they get by him, and, man, he catches them within 15 yards. Yeah. But, but when I watch it back, you see recognition, anticipatory skills, and instincts. They make you a lot of money if you unlock them from your mind and your heart. And Patrick clearly has them. And and he, you know, it's a correctable situation. I can just tell by watching it. But Woods has to see that he's bit on it a little too much, and he has to get their lickety-split. Now, this is in no way Xavier Woods' fault, and I ain't negative on Woods. I'm just trying to figure out what, what he does high end. And he, I know he's smart because I've been told by the right people he's smart. He sucked up the playbook and absorbed everything very quickly. But, you know, when it comes to blowing up players and causing fumbles and jumping routes and making stupendous interceptions or, or strafing or stripping or whatever it is, I, I just the next game I'm just gonna watch him a little more closely to to see what he does well because when 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 you get run on for one forty nine and Cincinnati's offensive line, by the way, uh I'm not the 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 terrorism that I caught from the Friday co host and some other things that I read. That um I I ain't on board with that. Okay. Uh, Cincinnati does not have a bad offensive line. Riley Reef is a quality right tackle. Jonah Williams is a high-end left tackle. Now, he played 10 games over two years. He's good to go now. He is a badass. 
Uh, so now when you got your bookenders and they're good, you got two veterans at guard. They got a rookie, last name Kramer or Carmer, who backs up uh, one of those veterans. He's going to be good. Uh, their their center situation leaves a little bit to be desired, but you can't fix everything at once. So their offensive line, big as it is, paves the way for for the grinder in Joe Mixon and and P Ryan. One forty nine can't happen, but it's not all on Kendrick's whipping a few times or Pierce and or Tomlinson uh, or Sheldon Richardson. You know when 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 the team resigned Sheldon. I was cool with it. Again, they know more about it than me. Feels like he's a four-sack guy. Uh, didn't impact the game a lick yesterday. I don't like Sheldon against the run, and I just never have. And Sheldon Sheldon does what he does, and he does it very well. But I've just never felt he was a descript player, a standout player against the run. So some things happened there, I would guess, that, that probably need to be corrected. And and Armin Watts, I, I haven't I haven't gone deep diving on his game. He didn't play as much as I thought he was going to play. You know, another thing that plays into that running number at one forty nine is the Vikings played more three four defense in that game than I've seen. I I think in my twenty years calling games for the team. I mean, it, I can't remember when they were a three four base all the way back to two, and they came out in a three four and and they played a lot of 3-4 with Daniil and and Wanham standing up a fair amount during the game. If you are going to run a hybrid 3-4 and 4-3, where there were several plays where you see the 3-4 and the outside linebackers threatening and threatening and threatening, but then right before the snap, ah, they floated to a 4-3 with Richardson and Griffin inside. Okay, now that's a lot of thinking and movement right before the snap. You know, when 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 I tape X's and O's with Zimmer tomorrow at three o'clock, I'm excited to ask him some of these questions about the three four and the four three, and then the switching to it as as the ready is being blurted out by the quarterback. Then you're switching and moving around, and if that leads potentially to some gaps, you know that that ended up being open, they didn't see come open. Now this uh the, this Cardinals team. This is a bird of a different feather because they don't pound on you. They run around you, and they jump over you, and they slip by you. They're very fast. Man, do they have a lot of team speed. Kyler Murray with his rushing touchdown at Tennessee. On that play, they had defensive lineman Fotu. First name begins with a J. I can't remember it. And they had J.J. Watt in the backfield. Are you kidding me? I mean, they got two defensive linemen in the backfield, and on the gotcha play, the defensive linemen are to the left. The play flows left. Tennessee runs right, and there goes Kyler walking into the right. It was a stone-cold gotcha. You know, so so he's just so fast you can do things like that with young Kyler. Your thoughts on the Vikings game, 800-320-5326, 651-989-5326. And uh, if interested via Twitter, Make the hashtag KFANVikes if you have Vikings comments, and uh, we will uh, monitor and follow along with some of those comments. It is hashtag KFANVikes. Uh, we will follow that during the segment and um, also take some of your phone calls around the corner. It is the fan.
27 minutes past the hour, FM 100.3. Hey, F-A-N, welcome back. Vikings lose in overtime to Cincinnati. And uh, reaction to this action right up in here, Troy in St. Paul, hello. What's up, PA? My man, great seeing you Friday at the Feast. Thanks for coming out. The Feast is Friday, Buffalo Wild Wings, Egan. Uh, maybe get a chance to say hello again. I'm flying to Arizona on Friday. I'm not going to be able to come, but it was Ooh. it was it was a family reunion. It was uh, hmm. good to see you and the rest of the uh, K fan family for sure. That was good, man. It was great to be back. What's going on? Um, I said it to you at the end of last season, and I'm gonna say it to you again. If this team does not make it to the playoffs and win a game or two, Oof. we need to consider. A change as far as the regime. I feel like I'm starting to feel like we have reached our ceiling with this current regime. Watching that game yesterday and peeping some other ones out, we seem like we're still behind some of these other organizations. And at some point, management, coaching, it, it has to be held accountable for some of the decisions they, that they have made. I was told that this line was supposed to be better. I understand this first-round pick there, so was supposed to help that out. But that was a draft pick that we made. There were other guys out there. We decided to get him, and he might grow to be a great player, but he wasn't ready for game one. That line struggled once again, and I just feel like going forward, If we find ourselves in this position again, we might need to consider that. Now, it's one game. we got 16 more games left, hopefully more, if something changes drastically. But I feel like the coaching staff and management need to be held a little more accountable for some of the things that's going on on the field. Elaborate. I mean, you you went overarching, and I'm an overarching air traffic control kind of guy. But I actually need some details here. Give me okay, some details. I mean, if I'm you're a, for for the and and hey, not 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 because you're my friend. I mean, th- this really would be with anybody. Is when when there are career related affronts that are established, like you did, then mm-hmm. I'd like to hear one or two details. Okay, that that would lead to that. Okay, we knew just because of how top heavy we are. We need this draft class to be producing right away. Who from this current draft class has produced? And I understand that was one game. But who from this current draft class can we say we can lean on even in the next three, four games? That's management. They drafted these players. Last year, when you got rid of all those players, we struggled a whole lot because you didn't have nobody to come behind them. Those are are some of the things that I'm talking about. You got a team out there. Uh, every time uh, I turned my head, it was another penalty. That discipline falls on the coaching staff. Discipline, if you're going to sit all these guys in the preseason, have them a little more prepared when we get to game one. So little stuff like that it really bothers me. You know, so I appreciate, Okay, I, 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 got, I got you, man, and I'll see you down in Arizona, okay? All right. I'm not uh, – I'm not – I've now heard – the low-hanging fruit, convenient rip on the penalties and the holding involving coaching staff far too frequently. The the coaching staff has nothing to do with false starts ever, never, never, ever, ever. Uh, so that that you know that's that's thirty forty percent of the penalties. I mean, it's it's there there are first of all there. I don't want to go down the road on it because a it's boring and b it's too hardcore. 
there was something about the way the Vikings' tackles were set that, believe it or not, were throwing referee Adrian Hill off and his staff. And it should have been discussed before the game, from what I understand, and it wasn't. Now, that's not like the tackles provided all of the false starts. But the false starts are on the individual, not properly knowing in the huddle what the how the cadence is going to work and and how and how the snap count's going to go. So that has zero to do with coaching. Now we can get into the other stuff. Breland down by the goal stripe getting beat. T Higgins uh, mugging T Higgins down there getting crossed up. The Bradbury holdings, yes. Now th- those are coaching pieces like like Patrick Peterson with that corner route over his head by the boundary by the sideline. You know, those are coaching pieces that definitely need to be taken into account. But I'm not, I just, I I can't hear the penalties, the false starts, and tie that into coaching. And the false starts is, it's it's so weird, though. There were four of them right there in that mix. CJ Ham had two of them, and he had to come out. Yeah. So it's just, that is an anomaly. Now, the other six penalties that were holding related and some of these other things. That could be something that you could look at from a coaching standpoint. And I think it was Zimmer himself saying, we've worked with these players in their hands. You could see, I think it was Ole Udo. They and showed no a replay of him, hands way on the outside as he's basically just grabbing and hip-checking a guy. Yeah, There are other aspects in those penalties that you could look at from a preparatory standpoint, technique, and how things are going in practices. But the false starts, I mean, to have that many that early, that's an anomaly. Trash, what's going on there, Trash? PA, we love you. Thanks for opening the Davenport on a very somber Monday. There it is. <laughs> I've got a few bads, a few goods. Feel free to run with whatever and comment on it or just leave it at that. First off, credit to the Bengals. Their defense played well. That fourth and inches call was gutsy and really impressive. Um, on the bad side, it, you just talked about this in the previous segment. Offensive line, secondary, exposed. They didn't look ready to play. Way too many missed tackles, especially by veterans. Um, on the good side, apparently we're a special teams powerhouse now. That's cool. Uh, Michael Pierce looks like the real deal. And while Kirk missed some throws, I think he did make some big ones down the stretch when it counted. Yeah. I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure of the throws he's missed because I haven't watched it back yet. Um, I felt he held the ball a little too long down by the uh, by the goal line when he took a sack. I thought it was going to be a safety call in the game. Um, Kirk came up cold-blooded at the end of the game, and he bounced around there nicely, found Tyler Conklin on the perfect route, likewise for Thielen. And, um, and I like the way Kirk played the majority of the game. Now, the um, uh, special teams, now that's, you know, it's, it's uh, for those looking for the cheerleader Covenant and or Pollyanna Allen, because that's how I'm branded, I probably waited far too long, two, two hours and two and two hours and 34 minutes in the show to point out a homerific take. Ryan Ficken's doing a phenomenal job with his special teams because they were, they were, they had some problems in the Denver preseason game. Yeah. Those problems got fixed the next game and the next game. And now, I mean, it was, well, let, let's just leave it like this. The longest punt return we had last year was 13 yards. And D.D. Westbrook had a 12-yard punt return yesterday. So, I mean, that is getting better. Now, Amir Smith-Marset went out of body, coming out of the end zone eight yards deep. That's probably not preferred. But outside of that, where the kicks are going, the trajectory, and stuff like that, I mean, it's one regular season game. But uh, but Ryan Ficken is doing a good job. Jeff Woodbury, what's going on? 
Hey, PA, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, just a lot of negatives in that first half, and one that I am just I don't I haven't heard anybody touch on is right before the half, we have a penalty back up, second and a mile. We do a little two-yard dink to Abdullah, and he fights like heck to get it out of bounds. And then the next play, timeout, punt, deep to chase. They get the ball back in the second half. Normally, I want us to take shots before half to get points. I felt like maybe there we should have, let's just get to half and be tied 7-7 instead of down 14-7. Yeah. Kick off, and then it's 21-7. Let me ask you this. On the play you're referencing, how much pressure was on Kirk? No, it was, it was, I think it was, and you can correct me if I'm wrong if there was a penalty before that, but it was second and long if I remember. Yeah, I, I, I you know what, I don't remember either. So I'll take a look at the game log. Steve, what's going on? Hey, PA, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Uh, as disheartening as uh, that loss was yesterday, would like to point out uh, at least three bright spots. Number one, obviously being the special teams. Uh, you know, it's nice to, to go into a game and realize that the special teams actually gave us a chance to win uh, rather than lose um, with the good punting and the good field goal kicking. Uh, number two, I feel like Kirk played a really good game. I know when he went into halftime, uh, Zimmer said he felt like he was holding onto the ball a little bit too long. I feel like when he came back out, he definitely had some really good zip on his passes um, to the point where they went right through um, I think Jefferson's hands a couple times. I don't think he was quite ready for how much zip Kirk was going to have. I think Kirk was playing fired up because of that. Uh, and then last but not least, KJ Osborne. I mean, how about that for a wide receiver three? Uh, he's really stepping into his own. I know it's only one game, but I oh. feel like he could be a bright spot for us this year. Hey, hey, man, I'm so glad you brought that up. In fact, I'm going to spend more time on that tomorrow, and I had it written down. How about KJ Osborne? Yeah. Are you kidding me with that game yesterday? The tackle he shook next to the sideline, third and 24 to get 25? Jefferson, they've been sitting on that Jefferson pass for like a year. Um, and, and, and I thought it was going to take place late in the season last year, but JJ with a dime, KJ for 11. And, uh, yes, KJ Osborne, man, when given opportunity, he definitely took advantage of it. Uh, hashtag KFAN Vikes. What's happening over there? Uh, just a couple of entries. I want to, I want to get this one to you though. There was an opportunity yesterday. Bill checks in at Bill for Vikes. Yeah. Why didn't the Vikes oh, yeah. exploit Eli Apple more? I see it. Oh man. Eli Apple right. was, I mean, and just that's going back to his Saints days. Yeah. It's going back to his Giants days. Yeah. The Vikings have feasted on said Apple his entire career anytime yeah. they've faced him. It's Minnesota nice because you beat somebody down so much. You don't want them to leave second guessing their career. They don't want to make them retire. So they were doing they were doing Apple a favor, and in turn, it didn't work out. We didn't win, but Eli Apple, oh man! I can't wait. I can't wait until tomorrow. Cause tomorrow might very well be too late. JG, what's going on, man? Sorry, I'm a couple minutes late. What's going on? That's all right. I had to pick my kids up at school. I got them in the door, got lunch in front of them, and now we're good. So your tardiness helped me out, man. We're good. It was serendipity right on. Uh, your your segments are provided by? Uh, the KFAN tailgate at Buffalo Wild Wings, which is right across the street from Huntington Bank Stadium, PA. And we're there three hours before every home game, thanks to Coors Light, Truly Hard Seltzer, and Grey Duck Spirit. So we'll be there at 8 o'clock a couple of Saturdays from now when the Gophers host Bowling Green. You um, uh, Have you been to this on-campus stadium in Boulder? I have not. I have been to Fort Collins, Colorado. I have not been to Boulder. And I heard you talking to PJ about it. I'm extremely excited about it. 
Um, I'm extremely excited to be in Boulder on Friday night as well as Saturday after the game because I'm going to hang out for a day with my wife. (laughs) And so I'm excited about that. I'm really fired up to get there. And I know a lot of Gopher fans are traveling. They sold out of their allotment. I mean, but I had tweeted about it a couple of weeks ago, like, who's going? Yeah. Uh, The Twitter mentions were on fire. So it should be a fun trip for Gopher fans who've been waiting for a trip for a while. Boulder has a 50th in France type area. Um, that, yeah. uh, that's, that's close to, it's close to the campus. It's a very, I, I've been there three times in the last year and a half. Uh, they Do you call it Pearl street in the business. I believe it's, it's called, I, it's one of them. I believe Pearl street's probably the, the money street. They have an antique bookshop that is absolutely spectacular. Uh, there's a fantastic Italian restaurant. Can't remember the name of it, but it's very eclectic. It's, it's not Edina 50th in France pretentious. <laughs> It it has types of stores like that with the granola dispensary laden hippie kind of feel to it. So um, I predict right now uh, you and your wife love your Saturday evening in Boulder. Well, I'll say this: the fifties in France I grew up on. Nobody believes me. Um, the um, is it Barrio that's the fifties in France? See, I don't even know. Yeah. Um, that that used to be an Arby's, and where the Athleta shop was, it was a gas station where where everybody went to buy cigarettes because the cashier who looked like Randy Johnson, the old pitcher, was selling to underage kids. That's the fiftieth. That's the fiftieth in France I grew up on. Um, uh, surrogate. I'm also not kidding here. Uh, you're good. You need to drink more water. The the when you land through when you leave than you've ever had in your life. That. That yeah. de- that dehydration piece with the altitude. I mean, I mean, child stays at at a a student apartment complex, uh, which is by Coors Field. Um, but Boulder, it's 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 I think even a little higher than Denver, and uh, that dehydration part. Holy cow! Be ready. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm interested to see how the uh, six point five IPAs hit at altitude, <laughs> but I will definitely I will definitely be uh, hydrating <laughs> before. <sighs> And after, don't worry. My hydration will be on point. Not my first, not my first show. Yeah, but yeah, I've heard about the altitude <laughs> for sure. I'm excited to get there. Have you? Uh, are you guys? Is uh, is your wife renting a car? Uh, I am. Oh, Rocky Mount, Rocky so, Mountain Park Saturday after the game. If you get a chance, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, I, I know, I know, I'm sounding like uh, John Elway and the director of the Denver, Colorado <laughs> Tourism Bureau. Uh, it it it's my favorite state in the union. I mean, I've been there now five times. And I've been to Boulder and or Denver three times in the last year, a year and a half. I I just we we drove up to Fort Collins to uh, look at Colorado State and and kind of see, you know, what that would if Nicole wanted to go there. And that's like 90 minutes north or something. It brushes up against Wyoming. It's it's just a phenomenal state, man. And even if you got five hours to drive your wife around, it'll be one of the more memorable drives you've ever had. I'm excited about it, and I appreciate you giving me actually good recommendations like Italian restaurants and bookstores because when I told Zach Halverson and he thought I was going there, all they sent me to was dispensaries. Yeah, so I appreciate, I appreciate you giving me some actual applicable advice for this 39-year-old father of three. All you got to look for is the green medical sign. They're all over the place, man. Just go say hello. Um, the um, So with uh, with the victory over Miami of Ohio, uh, through the um, Ohio State game. What do you think of Tanner Morgan so far? I think Tanner's been fine. I don't think Tanner's been one of their issues. I thought he was excellent in the first half, 
um, against Miami and, you know, finding Dalen Wright a couple of times, finding Daniel Jackson for the touchdown that put him up 21-3. I think he's been fine. I think he's run the ball pretty well. He's had a couple of throws each game that you'd want to have back. I thought he threw Dalen Wright into some trouble in the second half early and Dalen got smoked and then we never saw Dalen again. Um, you know, I think we have to factor in he doesn't have his best wide receiver at the moment. Chris Ottman Bell should be back on Saturday, but yeah. I think Tanner's done a really good job. I, I think, and I heard you talking to PJ about it, you know, the second half went pear-shaped quickly, and then as PJ does, he shuts it down. I mean, if he thinks if he thinks they can win the game running the ball, that's what they're going to do. And it's frustrating to watch at times, but I've seen that movie before. I saw that movie under Jerry Kill, where they they once uh, there were a couple of passes that were in harm's way a little bit, where they probably avoided some damage in terms of interceptions. And I think PJ just said, "Enough is enough. Let's just try to get out here alive by running the ball," and that's what they did. But I think Tanner's been fine. Um, you know, he had one bad throw against Ohio State that was actually uh, negated because of a, a personal foul penalty and then had a couple of throws that he'd probably want to have back. But the first half, I thought he was really good against Miami, and then they basically uh, negated his presence by making him hand it off the rest of the time. Justin Gard at JGKFAN, sideline analyst, Golden Gophers Radio Network. It is a, it's, a, it's a noon start here, right? Yes, noon central, yep. 11 o'clock mountain. Yep, that's sweet. Uh, you can also watch JG on Fox 9 before the game with uh, Hobie doing a pregame show. Now, um, uh, with, with injuries, and I didn't get into this with PJ. I just don't like talking injuries with coaches. They get uncomfortable. How, how, yep. how, how healthy are we? I mean, is, is the Texas A&M transfer, is he nicked up? It looked like he was. Um, it, what was interesting about what PJ said post game was that, you know, he failed and then he kind of went away almost. He's got to be mentally tougher. So that led me to believe that maybe they didn't love kind of his mentality after getting hit and after having a drop because he fell. There would have been a really nice completion uh, to him from Tanner if he hadn't fallen getting out of his break. And I think they had to punt right after that. So I think there's a little bit of learning going on there. That's just what my gut tells me. I'll ask PJ about it more tomorrow, probably on the PJ flex show noon, tipsy steer Roseville. Um, but injury wise, I think they're going to be healthy. I think they held some guys out maybe that they didn't necessarily need to. Like if they really needed Chris Ottman Bell to go, I think he probably could have gone. Same thing with Jordan Howden. I think they were being overly cautious and maybe conservative on that. That's just my gut. No inside info there. But I think they will be as close to healthy as they possibly can be without Mo Ibrahim, obviously, going into the uh, Colorado game on Saturday. I think most people should be back. The uh, the zero sack bit, I mean, if it's zero sacks after this game and they have to start blitzing too much, that's a problem. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm glad you asked TJ about it because it's, it's certainly one of the things that we've been watching as well. They got close a couple of times against Miami. Rashad Cheney got close. MJ Anderson got close. He actually got face masked on a play and still almost got to the quarterback. So they kind of got, they got a sack like <laughs> because they got a 15 yard penalty out of the deal, but they haven't closed the deal. They were closer on Saturday than they were against Ohio State, but it does need to improve. Certainly they, they can't let quarterbacks. I thought the Miami quarterback was able to get kind of comfortable there in the second half and they took their shots and they connected on them. So that's, I'd say the defensive line has been not exactly what we thought it was going to be so far this season. Stopping the run, I think they did a much better job on Saturday. I thought that was a positive. But the thing that needs to improve is the pass rush, no question. My ma'am, travel safely. I'll be listening as usual. Have a wonderful trip, and um, I'll talk to you next week, all right? Yep, thanks, P.A. Later, but That's uh, Justin Gard, sideline analyst, Golden Gophers football, and I'm Paul Allen. Back with you tomorrow for a Talker Tuesday. 
Meanwhile, from the 651 Carpet Studios, uh, Cool Mo Mad Producer puts a wrap on the show. Cool Mo! <laughs> Thanks to Metropolitan Ford for sponsoring the 9 to Noon Show Wraps. Metropolitan Ford is your truck superstore. <clears throat> it doesn't take the wisdom of Obi-Wan Kenobi to know things are bad. Getting killed by Ogan Joby. Try to keep the faith as if you didn't know me. The Vikings left in cold blood a la Truman Capote. And admittedly, I wasn't sleepless after Cincinnati, even though our team looked exceptionally ratty. Showing up looking that unprepared, and there's no pulse to find. I can't allow them to occupy space in my mind, and whatever's still my favorite team. But kind of feeling that terrorism on the current regime at 36. Can't be living this many bad dreams. I roll right, but hang left if you're checking my inseam. Maybe this thing has finally hit its peak. Certainly reasonable to make those decisions after one week. Unlike Trey Potts, who appears to be a freak. Got PJ in that boat trying to patch up them leaks. Podcast today's Paul Allen Show. Or listen back to previous show and interviews by going to the iHeartRadio app or KFAN.com.